Well, good morning again. If you have your Bibles, get them ready. But we are doing a bit of a tour around the New Testament today because we are beginning to talk about Jesus. And you can't adequately talk about Jesus without having a fruit salad, a whole smorgasbord of different Bible verses. The reason he is so revealed in Scripture. Uh, Scripture points to Jesus. It seems like the Old Testament and prophecy and story of God was pointing to Jesus. Revelation points to Jesus and his return. We are in the uh, middle week of a three-week doctrine series on the Trinity. Theological description. I just realised, Jason, that I don't have the clicker, so uh, someone who's speedy around you can bring it, please. Oh, Murray, of course, we saw him speedy earlier. Yeah. Chariots of fire, mate. You and me both. It's about the legacy. Thanks, buddy. Good thing we're friends, hey? So the theological description of the Godhead is the Trinity, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And today we examine some of the attributes that are given to Jesus, the Son, as described in the Bible. Like last week, it can't be exhaustive. It can't be thorough. Uh, anything that I say about Jesus today in a relatively short period of time is a taster. And hopefully I hit some of the major points. There is a magnitude of work, ministry and character displayed, given to us, written, recorded in the scriptures and hopefully we'll get to honour some of the important parts. The second person of the Trinity and the way through the cross. No one was like Jesus. He was completely different and unique every way you could think. He's the only person born as he was. So his entry into this world that we know as earth and universe was totally different to anyone before him or after, even different from the creation of Adam because before Adam was, Jesus was and he is the creator. Immaculate conception is the way it's described by some but the truth is conceived by the Spirit. And Jesus is the only man who lived his life without sin. He never did anything but good. He's the only good man. There was never been another death like his either. He remained completely innocent right up to his death and beyond. And his death was a voluntary submissive death. So Jesus went to the cross to pay the price for sin. He is the way, therefore, to the Father, and we'll see a little bit more of that as we progress. And here's the really obvious one. There's never been a resurrection like his. And Jesus' resurrection is the foreshadowing of the resurrection of all believers. He's the first fruits of the dead. No ordinary man. He was and is the Son of God. Second person of the Godhead, 
came to God to earth as God in flesh. He's the one solitary life that changed all of history. Comes in the middle, changed everything that went before and so changed everything that comes after. He is Jesus. And in uh, Acts chapter 4, he is our hope of redemption. He's the cornerstone and the only way by which we can be saved. So we're looking deeper into the second person of the Trinity. This is the person of Jesus. Now, when I think about Jesus, one of the first things that comes to my mind is Saviour. Saviour, Lord, uh, the way. Uh, there's many different descriptions. You, you might have different things come to your mind when you first think of the second person of the Godhead. But Trinity fits in relation to the Father. He sits in the middle. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I think it's worthwhile to consider how the second person of the Godhead fits in relation to the Father. And we're going to cover just a few theological truths about Jesus, his identity and his personality. So the, the first thing I want to say to you is he is the word of the Father. We see this in John chapter 1. He's a revelation, but to be the revelation, he is the word. And all our ideas, think about this from a practical perspective, our ideas, our concepts, our reasonings are revealed through words. We, we didn't invent that. You know, we didn't have a smart kind of education person, uh, a person with great knowledge uh, to invent words. That is from God. In the beginning was the word. He was the message right from the beginning. We've kind of caught up in society and uh, different language groups across the world have different ways of describing what they're thinking or what they want to communicate. Words are powerful, sometimes spoken, maybe even written, or remaining in our minds until appropriately communicated. Nonetheless, word is powerful. The construct of thought is powerful. And we'd know nothing of God had he not revealed himself in words. Amen? What do we know without him telling us? In the beginning, verse 1, Jesus was the word, the very revelation of God. And maybe he can be explained this way. First, he's the spoken word. Then he's the written word. And finally, he's the living word. You know, does that work for you? Regardless, He's spoken, written and living. He is the word. And if we want to know about God and his will, we go to the written word. Amen. We go to the Bible. We go to the um, absolutely true living word of God and we discover what is revealed about him. And the very nature and person of God is revealed through the second person of the Trinity. The more we learn about Jesus and listen to his words, the more we understand the Father. True? When we know Jesus, he will lead us to the Father. God himself reveals through Jesus. P 
powerful and life-giving explanation from Jesus. The words reveal the nature in John 14, verse 6. And right here I feel like there is this relevant and powerful lesson for us. Here's a take-home. The ideas we hold about God, and particularly Jesus, the personal revelation of God that we know to be true, can be contained in our mind and never released into communication. Think about that. We can know so much about the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit and in the context of what we're saying today, we can know so much about Jesus and you can be sitting there thinking, oh, well, I, I, that's obvious. All those things you've said is obvious. I've got it in my mind and I go, praise the Lord. You've got it in your mind. And we wouldn't know about God unless he revealed himself to us and got it out of his mind and into written word and into the life of Christ. So we've got authority, we've got healing, we've got miracles, we've got parables, we've got preaching, teaching, all because Jesus came. Is it true or not? It's true, isn't it? And if Jesus had not come, we don't have that revelation. We don't have that record in history. If God hadn't revealed himself through Jesus, we haven't got it, but we have it. And it shouldn't be contained in our mind. God did, did, did not contain his desire for relationship in his mind. He shared it abundantly, didn't he? We know the things we know because he made it known. And here's a little takeaway. Nobody will know what you know unless you make it known. True? Any thought or knowledge is powerless for others if it only resides in our mind. It must be expressed in words, written or spoken. Jesus is the word. Last week I explained that God the Father, our Father, created the universe so he could place man within for the express reason of relationship. Relationship with his creation, but also relationship with you, me, us. God the Father had a plan to create a universe and he expressed it in words. It's revealed and communicated and God expressed his plan to save man in words, spoken, written and living. And Jesus, who was God in the beginning, is the second person of the Trinity. Fits. It fits together. Think on it. He is the living word and the power by which he performs his will. In so many physical, practical and personal ways, Jesus was, is and always will be the revelation and evidence of God's desire and working power. Simply put, the Son of God and the revelation of God is Jesus. In John 14, 6, totally love, totally love it. He declares his person and purpose. I am the way to the Father. And further, created the universe by his command.
He's the power by which God holds all things together. And if we want to know what God is like, look to Jesus. He revealed the Father in John 14. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. And still, rejection is everywhere. Wouldn't it be a wonderful world if everyone read the scriptures, saw the revelation and submitted, asked forgiveness of their sin and lived in harmony with God? Wouldn't that be a beautiful world? And even though we know the truth that God sent Jesus revealing and sharing and so his will is known to us, for relationship, there is mass rejection. We need to know who Jesus is and continue to tell of his love and good deeds. Even though rejection reigns around us, that is no good reason for us to contain our knowledge in our minds and never express it. I mean, share with me later the sense of that. What would the purpose of that be? That no one ever shares what they know to be true about Jesus. There's no purpose in that. That is so empty. So we are to be the living word enveloped, enduring and inspired and enabled by the Holy Spirit. And we'll talk more about that next week. People may continue to reject, but here's the beautiful, beautiful thing. No problem for us. It's not our problem if other people reject the truth about Jesus. Spirit of God looks after that. The command to share Jesus, that's our responsibility. We're not responsible for how people respond. Isn't that cool? So... What we should be doing is getting it out of our minds through our lips or through writing and share the truth. And then the rest is God. We do not own responsibility for people's responses. Why? That makes it pretty freeing for me. <laughs> because when I think it's my responsibility, I carry a burden. Of responsibility and it's not <laughs> it's not there's nothing mechanical about sharing Jesus there's no burden that I have to carry people will always reject goodness it's part of the whole sin and fallen state to reject goodness or if I can put it this way not even notice it if it hit them in the face it's human nature to reject the truth of Jesus. Not our responsibility. But isn't it beautiful that for most of the people sitting amongst us here today, for most of us, God penetrated our heart of rejection. And we live with life because we surrendered to the truth. Isn't that beautiful? It wasn't anything we did, you see. It was God's Holy Spirit penetrating a barrier that we were trying to put up.
as gentle. God's important and what he desires for us to be. Sometimes people don't appreciate how someone wants to protect and to save them. There's a familiar character. In the 2002 version of Spider-Man, and I think there's eight of these movies that have been made, focus on different parts of the cartoon character. But in the 2002 Tobey Maguire version, the editor, J. Jonah Jamison, is constantly campaigning against Spider-Man in the newspaper. You might remember part of that story. goes back in the cartoon. Even though this superhero that man has created is actually doing a lot of good in the city. That was his purpose, right? But Spider-Man persists in trying to do good even when the mood of the city is against him. You know, a very kind of uh, earthly understanding of you can try to do good and people will reject you. It's no good reason not to do good. Persist in being good to do good in the name of Jesus. So the parallel for me is Jesus is the saviour of the world and the revelation of God we need desperately to make a difference. Even if the world doesn't want what he has to offer, we know that he makes the difference. He's the truth and the revelation and he is who he says he is. In John 8 and 58, the religious leaders question Jesus and he simply responds. He says, truly I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. When Tara started out her talk before, I am that I am, the communication with Moses. God's revelation of himself to Moses and the story of the Old Testament unfolding for the people of Israel is and came from, I am that I am. I am who I say that I am. And Jesus affirmed his relationship to the Father in that way. He is who he is. Another key attribute of the second person of the Trinity is that he is God in flesh. He has personalised God. And this illustration pops up regularly. Four blind men who felt an elephant tried to describe it. And the story goes, one touched its tail and said it's like a rope. Another his trunk and said it was like a large hose. A third the side of the elephant and said it was like a wall. The fourth his leg and said it was like a tree. And none of them could see the whole elephant. None of them. They had isolated understanding. A partial idea of what he was. The whole of scripture reveals the whole of God. If we want to stick to just one little part, we won't know the fullness of God. And we need to know the scripture, know it and apply it. And we'd have a, a limited idea about God if Jesus hadn't come to let us see the Father. The Father and the Spirit reveal certain aspects about the Godhead in the Old Testament. 
And when you see the Godhead through the life of Christ, it reveals a whole new personal revelation of God, doesn't it? The aspect that's great for us in this is Jesus shows us the heart and nature of the triune God. He shows us God isn't an impersonal spirit or force, that God has personality, that he has personality like we do. He has emotions like we do. He loves, he gets angry, he speaks, he's hurt when his children are hurt. The person of Jesus. We see a lot of good things of humanity in the person of Jesus, don't we? Every parcel of caring, every uh, parcel of aid, every word of encouragement, every thought of goodness, every positive character and attribute all comes from God. God is the essence of goodness and humanity has no goodness without God's intervention. Source of all goodness is God. That's familiar to us. We know that God is at work in our world and we know that God illuminates kindness, goodness, forgiveness into our world through those who believe in him. And even some who don't believe in him but have inherited part of the character of God in creation. The beauty of God is all around us. And so we can also say Jesus is both son of God and son of man, fully God and the second person of the Trinity. God in flesh, son of man, son of God, and I put maybe, you know, I don't know, 0.01% of his goodness into some words. Fully man and the second person of the Trinity. His humanity doesn't make him less God. It's not a reduction in personhood. It's a revelation of who God truly is and it's a connection back to God's intention in creation. It's a relevance and state of being that illuminates God. We see the first revelation of God's intention in the creation of Adam. And then we have Adam and Eve and family. Uh, and we get to see that God has an intentionality around relationship. Now, we know it was destroyed by sin. But when Paul describes Jesus... As the second Adam in 1 Corinthians, we are reintroduced to God's heart for relationship. Amen? We are reintroduced to the intentionality of what relationship is to be. We recognise that Jesus is a revelation of God's desire for us in human form. And as, crea as in creation, we still are to be like him again when we are restored in heaven. Beautiful, isn't it? God's so thorough. For example, some human elements that reveal God in Jesus are shown in Mark 6. Jesus shows us God is a God of compassion and care. He's a caring shepherd and he faced everything that we face in our human experience, even to the point of coming face to face with evil. 
When he faced Satan, he was tempted with physical need, ego, self-gratification, greed, all the things that thunder at us as people. Yet he never wavered, not once, and he remains without sin. Isn't that beautiful? And he calls upon us to follow his example. First Adam, second Adam tells us that we are created to be in the image of God. We are created to be as God. We can, we'll never be God, but we're created in a way that we can relate with him and have full understanding. I'm looking forward to that. I don't have that just yet. I have part of the parcel, but one day, as God declares it, I'll unwrap the whole lot and see as God intended. We see the activity of God in the second person of the Godhead. This activity is amazing. All the authority of God in 1 Corinthians 15. And before Jesus was born, the angel had a message of revelation to Mary. Remember this? We regularly quote it around Christmas time. But from Luke 1, God made a promise to Jesus' earthly mother that you will have a son and he will be. Great is not a... The English words are probably the best we've got, but it doesn't kind of... It doesn't package it well enough, does it? He will be awesome. He will be the greatest. He will be... God, he will be is where we should focus, right? Because the description, no English description can get us there. He is that whom he says he is. And death's going to have no longer any power. Because one day he will hand everything over to the Father following his complete victory. Uh, Philippians 2.6 sums up everything about the ministry of Jesus. Because he humbled himself in obedience, God exalted him. And the conclusion of his earthly ministry, which is yet to come, is that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is truly Lord. He is Lord. And so that I don't leave it out, this one's transformative and totally necessary ministry of the second person of Jesus. So it's really, really, really important for us. God the Son is the means by which God the Father provides for us forgiveness. Amen. Jesus' death and resurrection was a powerful, almighty work of restoration, of um, paying the price that we could not adequately ever pay. But its purpose was so we could go through forgiveness, that we could be forgiven. A powerful act in the Old Testament, sin always paid off with a blood sacrifice, yeah? Jesus, a blood sacrifice. 
sin paid off in the Old Testament with a blood sacrifice which equaled the forgiveness of God. In the New Testament, sin pays off with a blood sacrifice which equals the forgiveness of God for all time, for all sin, for those who would believe. What a story. I said it was important for us. Praise God. He is Lord. And all of us can have a personal and life-restoring relationship with the Father through Jesus. So talk to someone today about this truth. If um, some of what I'm saying is not making sense, praise God. Go talk to someone near you. Um, if they can't answer some of your questions, they might be able to tap someone else in the room on the shoulder and go with you and seek the answer to those questions. God has a desire that everyone enters into new life through Christ, through the second person of the Trinity, if you like. So talk to someone near you, please. Find someone to share this truth. Here's my summary. The very mission and work of the Son of God in coming to earth was to bring salvation and reconcile our relationship with the Heavenly Father. The very work of the second person of the Trinity is to reconcile us to the Father. In Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. And in 1 Timothy chapter 1, it says, Jesus came into the world to save sinners. His is a salvation story. And here's my understanding of the truth. When Jesus saves you, he saves all of you. There is no part of you that isn't saved. So for those of you in the room who are saved and sometimes you do things and you're like, oh my goodness, why do I do that? Or why do I say that? Or why do I even think that? Come on, this isn't the character of Jesus. That part of you is saved. All of you is saved. God doesn't say, I'll save all the good bits and bad bits you have to work on. That's your work. You work on that. All of you is saved and by the power of the Spirit, those bits get eradicated. As much as we submit to the power of the Spirit, the Spirit will overwhelmingly give you victory over sin. Little by little, what we do know is it's all gone in preparation for the presence of God. Isn't that beautiful? Even the little bits that, you know, so annoying, <laughs> gone. The band can come up now. Please, if you're not certain that you're saved, I'm, uh, I'm just putting it out there. Please get that sorted. His name is Jesus. He's the second person of the Trinity. When you think of it, it's a beautiful name. 
It's a wonderful name. It's a powerful name. And now you know what we're going to sing. So can I invite you to stand? Because, we, Lord, we want to sing this song in recognition of its truth. We want to sing, Lord God, with a desire in our heart to make you known. Not to just know it in our heads, but, Lord, to take this doctrine and in the most beautiful uh, my Christian name way, the Gary way or the Murray way or whatever way it is that you divinely put into each one of us that we make you known, that we tell the story of your goodness and your salvation. So Lord, for so many of us standing here today, our prayer is for us and our households, we choose to serve the Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray.